0: seats. Well, it's great to see you here on the first Sunday of 2015, and we're believing that this year we're going to very much go deeper with God, and that God's going to do some deep work in our in our lives. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 105. I'm going to read the first 22 verses together, and then I'm going to focus on a a specific aspect of this psalm that i've been meditating over during the course of the christmas and new year period psalm 105 verse 1 <clears throat> oh give thanks to the lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples sing to him sing praises to him tell of all his wondrous works Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you I'll give the land of Canaan as your portions for an inheritance, when they were but few in number, of little account and wanderers in it, Wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said had come to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. And this psalm, we're encouraged to praise God and to sing to God and to remember the great works that he's done in history and in our lives. There's a focus here on his promises and his covenant and the fact that God is a transgenerational God, that what he began with Abraham could be traced through the generations and we we could have gone further, we could have gone right through to Moses, and the deliverance from Egypt, and the presence of God in the wilderness, and the rock that brought water, and how they came out with joy and took possession of the lands. But I wanted to stop at the place where Joseph was. So we're seeing, thanking God, there's a recognition in this psalm that God is working through time. You know, we are a particular generation, but our lives and what God is doing in us, it's not just for this generation. We can look back to former generations of God and see what God was doing in them. It's an unbroken line of God's covenant that it's work in the history of the world. We know especially when Jesus came, everything that the psalm was talking about, his promises to Abraham, found fulfillment in the coming of Christ. And in Christ we find ourselves, too, if we are believers, heirs of this God and heirs of this covenant. It begins by saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And if you've got a Bible that's correct in its its representation of that word Lord, you'll find that it's in capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. And uh, it's mentioned again in other verses throughout this psalm. Because whenever in the Old Testament you see the word Lord in capitals, the word in the Hebrew is not Lord at all. The word is Yahweh or Jehovah. And uh, the reason that it's translated Lord is because you may know that the Jewish people, or the Orthodox Jews, refuse to say the name of Yahweh or Jehovah. It's too holy to them. And so every time they read the word Yahweh in the Old Testament scriptures, they use the word Adonai, they use the word Lord, And so, in most of our translations, we also find that the word Lord is there, but it's used capital letters throughout, so we know that this is the word Yahweh, or give thanks to Yahweh. This word means, when when God revealed his name to Moses, and Moses asked for his name, and he said Yahweh, he was actually speaking Hebrew, and what he was basically saying is this, that I will be... Whatever you need me to be in whatever given situation you find yourself in. Not I will be whatever you want me to be, but I will be whatever you need me to be. And sometimes uh, what we need God to be to us and in our situation, what we need him to be is very different to what we want him to be at this time. So as this psalm is giving thanks and talking about his deeds and talking about his covenant and talking about his works in building a people and delivering a people from from Egypt, it's speaking about the God that knows exactly what he's doing every moment of the day, knows what he's doing in your life. And even if you don't like what's happening in your life, he's exactly the God you need him to be. This is important because as we come to verse 15, I want to focus from verse 15 to verse 22 and look a little bit deeper into that and also a little bit deeper into the Hebrew. This is what I've been thinking about, meditating about, thinking about prophetically over the last few few weeks. And notice in verse 15, it speaks about how he protected his people and it said, "'Touch not my anointed ones.'" And do my prophets no harm. This phrase is a very popular phrase amongst charismatic leaders, especially famous charismatic leaders over the decades. Often they will refer to this phrase um, if anybody criticizes them. I've seen this many, many times over the years. If somebody's under scrutiny, a famous charismatic leader, uh, or somebody's under criticism... Uh, they will usually fight back or strike back by saying, don't, remember, don't forget, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. In other words, a warning that if you speak against their ministry or against who they are or what they're doing or even dare to question them, uh, then uh, it's going to go bad with you. Well, that's totally taken out of context as we can see and doesn't mean that at all because interestingly enough, in verse 15, when it says, touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm, we suddenly get to the story of Joseph, where the exact opposite seems to be taking place for the larger part of his life. Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. This is not some sort of invisible force shield that nobody can penetrate and that no circumstance can come against because immediately that this is said god says this the very next verse it says he summoned a famine on the land or when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread he sent a man ahead of them who did he send Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So this is an interesting thing. God is in control, and God makes this bold statement, touch not my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. In other words, what he's saying is, I am in control. And I'm very jealous for those that I am using and raising up. I'm jealous for my people, and I have a purpose for them. Don't touch the anointed. Do no prophets, no harm. But then we see That's that's exactly what seemed to be taking place in Joseph's life. God summons a famine in verse 16, and, and he breaks every supply of bread. This is interesting. God is going to bring a terrible circumstance into the earth in order to bring forth something even greater and better than you could possibly imagine. He's going to bring a famine. It's his hand. He summons a famine in the land. Other versions say that he called for a famine on the land. Isn't that fascinating? God himself ordered this circumstance to come into the earth. This negative circumstance that was going to come into the earth was actually in its end going to be very positive, very glorifying, and it was going to further his plans and his desires for his covenant, his people, his prophets, and his anointed one. Interestingly enough, it says that while he had called and summoned this famine, he had already sent a deliverer before it even took place. He sent a man ahead of them. Who? Ahead of the famine. This is interesting that when adverse situations come or things come into the earth that we don't understand, that God has already sent in advance his mighty deliverers. He's already sent in advance those that are going to deal with the circumstance that he allows to come into the earth. This is how much God is in control. He sends an advance guard even before battle is called. He sends in the special forces even before the enemies have fired a shot. They're already on the ground. They're already in place before the enemy even rears his head. And the man that he sent ahead of them, The man who was sent ahead of this famine, who was being placed and prepared to deal with this difficult circumstance that was going to come upon the world, this man was Joseph. And the thing was, he had no idea what was going on for the most part of it. You remember Joseph, the young boy, his circumstances are going to change drastically, And he's going to have to face tests and trials. And God is going to train him and forge his character. But not just for himself. God is forging his character for the future circumstance that he will deliver from. You see, Joseph didn't understand that when he was in that pit, he was in that pit for the whole nation. That when he was sold into Potiphar's house as a slave, he was sold for the benefit of the whole nation. That when he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife and thrown out and thrown into prison, that those things happened for the benefit of the future and the nation. And that when he was languishing in prison, God was doing a refining work in his life. And all this was a preparation Ahead of the famine that was surely coming. Joseph was sold as a slave. Now, God sowed the seeds into Joseph's life of what he was going to do. But they were prophetic seeds. And there is no way that Joseph could ever have predicted the journey that he would have taken in order to fulfill that prophecy that was given to him. And do you remember the prophecy? At the time, Joseph wasn't a slave. He wasn't in a pit left by his brothers for dead. He wasn't in a prison. At that time, he was his daddy's favorite. At that time, he was the spoilt one. He had everything he wanted. All the other brothers had to work very hard. All the brothers had to work to get whatever they wanted. He had it on a plate. He had that wonderful Technicolor coat he had that coat of favor, that coat of favoritism. I mean he was walking around like, uh, like like everything you would be if all the prosperity teaching and preaching of this world was true. He had it all. He had no pain, no suffering. he had total favor all of the time by his dad he had whatever he wanted, whatever he asked for. He was set above his brothers, even his older brothers. He was wearing the the, the most expensive designer wear that he could wear. And then not only that, there he is, Mr. Prosperity himself. And then he gets these wonderful words from the Lord. He's not making them up. He's actually getting these wonderful words From the Lord, Mr. Prosperity is getting the word of blessing from heaven. Nobody else is getting prophecies. Not even his father is getting prophecies. Jacob, but he is. The Holy Spirit's all over him. And the prophecy is, is that he's going to rule. He's going to reign. And his brothers, and not just his brothers, but his mother and his father, the sun and the moon, they're going to bow down to him. And he is so confident, and he is so wealthy and so prosperous, and everything is going well for him, and God is speaking to him. And so he comes and shares his wonderful prophetic news. And even his father, it's too much for him. You know, he could be a spoilt kid, but even that, the idea that the sun and moon was going to bow down to him, and even his dad rebuked him was probably the first time he ever did. What an incredible position! to be in. And that's the position that most of us want to be in. Well, you know the end of the story, but that's the position we want. We want the blessing. We want the prophecies of blessing. We want the the, the, the prosperity to come into our, into our lives. We want to be the head and not the tail. We, we want the moon and stars. To, we want to be exalted. We want to be used by God more than anybody else. We want to be promoted we want we want all of these things because Joseph is just like every other person that hasn't yet been tried or trusted tested or trained by the word and the, and the spirit so imagine that Mr. Prosperity Mr. Favor and he's getting the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord says you're going to go even higher than this you're going to be even more blessed than this, even more wealthy than this. You're, you're going to rule. You're not just going to be the favoured son. Even your fa- forefathers, your, your father and mother, they're going to bow down to you. You're going to be the head of the family. And your dad, Jacob, is going to think of all this. Think of these prophecies of blessing. Think of the situation. What an incredible place for that boy to be, be with. I mean, we can be too hard on the young boy. I wonder how many of us could take that kind of parental favor. How many of us could, could humble ourselves or cope with that type of exaltation? You know, Paul was a mature man, the Apostle Paul. And yet, God spoke such revelation into his life, such prophetic blessing, two-thirds of the New Testament written by this man. Got such blessing, such, such, such powerful Intimacy with God, such favor from God that God had to send to him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. And, and this was Paul, a mature man. He had, he had received so much, he had had heavenly visitations and, and had so much and was going through so much, preaching the gospel, getting beat up for the Lord. And yet, even so, there was so much blessing over his life. Paul, God had to send a thorn in his flesh. Persecutors that followed him around to keep him humble, to keep his feet on the ground. Well, Joseph's feet were not on on the ground. He'd been given this word from the Lord and he'd been puffed up by it. Because he didn't see what would have to take place between that point and the point of blessing. I believe that many of us, God has spoken words of genuine blessing words of genuine breakthrough words of genuine prosperity victory i really believe I'm not saying everybody has heard from the lord but i really do believe that god has a future and a hope for us and that god wants to take us and to promote us in the things of god i think the charismatic church in general in the west in the western world has got a early joseph mentality uh, they're actually going around thinking they're the head and not the tail and, and going around thinking that almost instantly these things are going to take place. But I tell you what, if you want to be the head, you're going to have to learn one day to be the tail. If you, if, you, if you want the breakthrough and the promotion and the riches, if those things are promised to you, if those things were, if you want those things, you're going to have to learn to live in lack. You're going to have to learn to live without, you're going to have to learn the value of a technicolored coat before you can really wear it and honour the Lord. If God's going to promote you and put you above other people or put you into a great position amongst great people and, and leaders, you're going to have to learn what it is to walk with the lowly ones, with the forgotten, with those that are nobody, not just walk with them, eat with them and become one of them. We have to humble ourselves before we're exalted. James makes that perfectly clear. That if you are going to be exalted in God's plan, then there will be a humbling. Now that humbling can come in many different ways. The best way is to humble yourself. Saves you a lot of hardship. If you humble yourself, you see James says, James chapter, James chapter 4 says that if you humble yourself, then you will be exalted. The way up is the way down. And so this is what we're going to see with, with Joseph. And all of a sudden, things begin to take a turn of, of events that seems like everything that he had had been taken from him. Betrayed, you know the story. Don't have to go too much in detail with it. I want to focus on... Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit... And sold as a slave. All of a sudden, adverse situations and circumstances come into Joseph's life. Things are no longer easy. He doesn't have his father looking after him all the time. Now he is a slave from favored son. Within a couple of days, he's the slave. Walking amongst slaves. He doesn't even have his coat, his coat, has been bloodied with animal blood and taken back to his father, and they've told him that his son is dead. But we know by this verse, He sent a man ahead of them. It's incredible that God would plan a journey of ultimate victory this way. I mean, God, if you, you wanted to take Joseph eventually into the palaces of the Pharaoh. Uh, You could have taken him by camel train, or taken him by donkey, or he could have at least walked, but via a pit into slavery. What's happening here? Well, the journey wasn't so much a journey to different places, but it was a journey with God. Everybody in the Bible that is anointed, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm, Everyone that was called by God. Everyone, large or small, that was called by God. They were his anointed ones. What does it mean? To be anointed. The word anointed means to be enabled. To be enabled. Set apart for God and to be enabled. Anointed means to be consecrated. Set apart for God's use. But it also means to be enabled. To do what you've been set apart to do. So anointed ones and prophets, all of them in the Old Testament and New Testament, all of them went on a journey with God. This is how God deals with people. He takes people on journeys. Often in the Old Testament, it was a physical journey or it was a journey through life. Of course, the greatest of the Old Testament journeys was Abraham the father of all who believe. And he was taken on a journey, wasn't he? Into the land of promise. And on that journey, not only was it a physical journey, but it was a journey with God. A journey of character. A journey of deepening in fellowship and friendship. A journey that brought up the frailties of his life and the immaturities of of his life. But it's a journey that had a beginning, and it was a journey that had an end. In Genesis chapter 15, really the beginning, or the the starting point, was when Abraham believed God. God told him about the journey, told him about the promised land, and told him that he would have generations. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do you know what that is? That is the starting line for the race of faith. So at that moment, when God told him these things and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, he entered into the race. He entered into his journey. And then right through his life, this journey, and we won't go into it, but you know enough about it. He ended up in G- Egypt. He, he, uh, he had his Ishmael. Uh, many things happened where, where he had trust issues with God, but he grew. And as he went along his journey, God was crafting something in him. He was causing Abraham to become a good friend of God. And then we find that at the end of Abraham's journey, Genesis chapter 22 or 23... We see there was a finish to that journey. And that journey finished when he took his own son, Isaac, the miracle child, up onto the mountain. And God said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. And he took him on that mountain and uh, he was willing to do it. And God said, that's it. That's it. You've run the race. You've received the crown. You are now fully mature. You are Fully a friend of God, that you would not even withhold your only dear son. And Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abraham said to himself, Do you know what? This is my promise, son. God is the God of the covenant. God remembers his covenant. God swore this promise about Isaac. And that means that should I slay Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. Incredible faith. What a journey that he went on. Journey that he went on. And the book of James tells us that we are on a similar journey. That we are justified by faith, as Abraham was, when we simply believe God and his gospel promises and we're saved. It's the beginning of a journey with God. Not not the end. The problem with the people that James was writing to is that when they got justified by faith, when they believed the gospel, when they just trusted God for the first time and and they were forgiven their sins and righteous, they didn't realize that they were at the beginning of a journey, the beginning of the race of faith. They just sat down on the starting line. It was like God fired the starting pistol. You're saved. Journey with God. Race with God. And they just sat down and said, nope, this will do for me. James is saying you've got to keep moving. This is a journey. God is wanting to do something in your life, create something in your life, a process of maturing that will bring glory to him, friendship with him, but also an ultimate destiny and crown and purpose. Now, when we read this here, verse 17 of 105, <clears throat> And, and verse eighteen, it's interesting what this says in the Hebrew. It says, verse seventeen, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, he was so, sh- sold as a slave. And then verse eighteen says this literally in in the Hebrew. Verse eighteen, it says, they oppressed and hurt his feet in fetters, his, and then it goes. His soul went into the iron. Verse 18. They clamped his feet in fetters. His soul went into the iron. Now, in most of your translations, it will say neck, correct? But in the Hebrew, the word is nefesh, which is life, soul, desire. And only secondary is it neck that's what it means, nefesh, I remember you may have heard of that. This is a living soul, his life, his soul. So this phrase actually says that his soul went into the iron, not irons, iron. And then the next verse is slightly different. Until the time the word came about and the word of Yahweh refined him. That's the Hebrew, refined him. Interesting. Now we really understand what's happening. This isn't just the fact, oh, he ended up in prison, and then he ended up... No, God was at work in his circumstances and on his journeys. Touch not my anointed, do, not my, do, do my prophets any harm. But all of those people are on a journey. And it's the challenging aspects of that journey that God is especially interested in. How we respond to challenges and what God does through the challenges will be the making or the breaking of us. They clamped his feet in fetters. His soul went into the iron until the word came about, the word of Yahweh refined him. What does that mean? Well, he'd got the word of the Lord. He knew what the word of the Lord was. And he, didn't, he wasn't carrying around with him um, all the scriptures, because the scriptures hadn't been properly put into books yet. So really, apart from the God, knowing the God of his fathers and the history and that which had been taught him, really the word that he had was the word about those bowing down to him. That was really the only word that he had. And that was a tough word to have. A tough word to have when you're in a pit. They're all going to bow down to you. A tough word to have when you're in chains, a slave of, of, of foreigners. A tough word to have when you're in a house and you're a common slave. I mean, think about that. We often sort of skip to the place where he's master of all the house and then... He's accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. But how many years was he a houseboy there? How many years? This was Joseph. Joseph walked around. People served him. He was in the coat. Everybody did things for him. Now he finds himself in a situation where he's doing everything for everybody else. And also, uh, the wife of his master is a wicked woman. And she was a wicked woman from the start. So imagine the difficulty that Joseph had in that household with such an appalling woman. And an appalling woman whose husband was blind to how appalling she was. Must have been a very difficult situation for him in that. And how many years was he there serving and serving and serving? Now, you're going to see this in that place and also in, in Potiphar's house. You're also going to see it. In, in, in the prison. He puts his soul into the iron. What does that mean? Well, the idea is the irons that he, in, he was in, the chains that he was in, in prison. But he was also in chains in that household. He wasn't free to go. If he was, he'd have journeyed back to his father uh, Jacob. So I'm not saying he was walking around, especially in the latter years that he was in Potiphar's house, he had he, risen, but he was, he was not free. He was in a situation, and you might have thought that the spoilt Joseph would have just refused to have done anything, would have got annoyed with God, annoyed with the masters, and said, hey, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who my father is? In fact, maybe he did that to begin with. We don't know. We don't know his attitude when he first ended up sold into Potiphar's house. Maybe he was like, they said, right, first thing you can do is muck out the pigs. And he's thinking, I don't muck out pigs. Don't you know? I am Joseph. I wear a technical. You can go and get in touch with him. No, we're not going to do that. Just do it. And, and how humiliating for him. And how, how long did it take for him to come to terms? with the situation and circumstance that he was currently in. I don't know, but, but I'm sure it didn't just happen like that. But there came a point in Potiphar's house, and we also see the same characteristic in um, prison, where he stopped resisting and moaning and groaning and self-pitying. And what did he do? He put his soul into the circumstances that he was in. That's what it says in the Hebrew. He put his soul, his life, his desire, he put it into the iron. He began to cooperate in the circumstances that God had allowed him to come into. He began to cooperate in a circumstance that you would never naturally want to cooperate. In fact, you'd want to rebel. You'd want to perhaps run away, be a runaway slave. You certainly would rebel against God. But he began to pour himself into the iron. And so something happened in Potiphar's house, this anointed one, this prophet that you're to touch not, where he began to be the best servant that you could be. Where he began to... to, He thought, I mean... (laughs) You could just imagine it. I, at the beginning, he doesn't want to do anything. He's, he's, he's a spoiled brat. He's not. And then he looks at somebody and he's thinking, look, if you're going to do it, do it properly. No, I'm Joseph. I'm not doing it, you know, to his fellow slaves. Uh, don't you know who I am? Look, no, that's not the way. No, you wouldn't. Look, let me show you. And so he's getting drawn in to these menial servant tasks. Menial. Some of these things he'd never done before. But he, he's put it, and then he's doing the job. And he's putting his soul and his life. He's got nothing else to do, but what he's got before him, he's doing with all his might. The Bible says that whatever's before you, do with all your might. Many times Christians don't like what's before them, and they don't want to do it with all their might. They think they're too good for where they are. Or they're waiting to be some sort of, I don't know... Miracle worker or superstar or something like that. And they're always waiting for the moment of exaltation. They're they're living these dreams like Joseph had dreams. But what's before them is very mundane. What's before them seems so distant to these great dreams or to what God has spoken. And they dismiss what's before them. They disdain it. They don't do what's before them or whatever circumstance they find themselves in, whether they like it or not, whether they intend to stay there or not. They don't put their whole soul into that iron. You know, you might not be in the job that you expect to be eventually. You might not be in the career that you hope to be eventually. But wherever you're working for now, put your soul into the iron. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, but it's just a temporary job. Put your soul into the iron. Yeah, but I don't like it. Well, put your soul into the iron until the opportunity to move on comes to pass. Put your soul into the iron. You're in a circumstance and you're fighting against the circumstance. And you're rejecting the circumstance. And you're denying the circumstance. And you're you're resisting the circumstance. And and I'm saying to you tonight, put your soul into the circumstance. Whatever that might be. And these are going to happen in different ways to different people. Because although our God's the same, our journey's all different. And the things that I'll have to put my soul into the iron about will be different to the ones that you do. We can't compare. We can only testify and give principles. You know, I have a disabled daughter. What am I going to do with a severely mentally disabled daughter? Am I going to fuss about God? Argue with God? Am I going to quit the race? Am I, what, what am I going to do? I have to put my soul into the iron. I have to face it. I have to put my life into that situation and do everything I can into that and also get everything I can out of that and learn and grow. Why? Because that's my path. That's my journey. That's what's taken. And if God heals her, praise the Lord. But if not, I can't deny that she's mentally disabled. I've got to put my soul into the iron. I've got to get everything out of this that God wants me to get out of it. Whilst I'm in that situation. It's the same with you. Whatever scenario you find. You say, I come from a terrible broken family. Put your soul into the iron of that family. You don't understand. I've got broken relationships with parents or offspring. Well, what are you going to do? I've just walked away and left it. and I never want to see them again. No. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Put your soul into the iron. I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, I'm not the place that I want to be. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be in a different country, in a different scenario. Okay, okay, And I'm not saying that you don't look for opportunities for that to happen, but until it happens, put your soul into where you are, even if it is an iron in your view. And that's what Joseph did, and he grew. And even in that place, relatively speaking, he began... To grow, mature, and prosper. Even as a slave. He was doing things better than anybody else. He was putting his soul... I mean, I don't know how many slaves put their soul into their slavery. Why would you do that? But he did. He began to be the best he could with the little that he was in. Put his soul into it. Could have rejected it. Could have just gone away with what a little that he could do. Could have been angry, annoyed... Bitter, but no, he put his soul into the iron and he became leader of the house. And you'd have thought, wow, isn't that wonderful, that's enough, there's the journey, next stop, Pharaoh's court. But you know what happened. He was falsely accused. Well, first of all, he he was tempted. He was tempted and he could have shortcut the journey through a lack of integrity. But he didn't. I think he knew what, would have ha- what was going to happen when he resisted the advances of Potiphar's. Well. He wasn't, this woman was a nasty piece of work, a nasty piece of work. I'm sure she told him as well, either you do what I tell you to do, slave, or I'll destroy you. And everything that he relatively had got to a relative place of the slaves go to a good place, now he had to turn against the living God, in order to stay where he was. He had to enter into the flesh. He had to do what was wrong in order to hold on to what he had achieved. And he refused to do it. And then what happened? He ended up in prison. And then again, God is working in him. He's in prison. Any glimmer of hope in Potiphar's house that things were on the up, that who knows, maybe that word from the Lord was true, was dashed, it seemed, again, for good. And sometimes it is true in life. Not always, but sometimes it's in true. Just as you think you get your head above water, a big wave comes and puts you under again. Sometimes it's true. I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes it's true. Sometimes just as you think you're coming out of the darkness, you go back into it. Just as you think you've climbed the mountain, there's another one right in front. Not all the time, but sometimes it happens. If it happens, don't despair, don't be discouraged, you haven't suffered as much as Joseph had. And he ends up in prison, and what does he do? What do you do in prison? You eat your food, keep yourself out of mischief. What do you do in prison? Yet we know that what he did was exactly what this verse said. It says he put his soul into the iron. He took these chains, he took this prison, thought, right, well, here I am. I can reject it, deny it, sit here and moan about it. Do you know I'm not going to do that? Do you know what? I'm going to put my soul into this prison. I'm going to put my soul into it. I, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to put myself into it. And he did the same thing. I mean, in the end, he became almost the, the ruler of the prison. I mean, what kind of attitude when you're a prisoner who's been put in there by one of the major leaders of the land for trying to rape his wife. What sort of prison, what sort of things did he do, what sort of faithfulness, what sort of day-to-day putting his soul into the iron did he do to get noticed, to, to be trusted, and to be put in that position? And how long, how many years did it take? Amazing, isn't it? Now he was trusted. He locked the other prisoners up. He put his soul into the iron. And then, you know, even, even then, he, then he gets another word from the Lord, you know, about the baker and the cup bearer. And uh, if he thought that was, and he says, don't forget me. And they did. I wonder how many, how many months or years he spent and over that as well. But he just kept putting, he said, all I can do is do what I can do with where I am and what I've got. All I can do, I'm not telling you that if you've got a job you hate, that you stay there forever. I'm not saying that. Don't trying to hear the spirit of what I'm saying. If you hate your job, look around for other jobs. But while you're in the job, put your soul into the iron. If you don't want to be in Britain, you want to be somewhere else. And I'm not saying, right, that's it. Don't ever see if you can move up or not. But while you're there, do you hear what I'm saying? Joseph, was, Joseph didn't want to be a slave in Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't want to be a prisoner in a prison. And he was looking for opportunities, wasn't he? Don't forget me when you go to the king. So this isn't, I am not ministering to you some sort of um, fatalistic, just accept things as they are. Don't look for change. That's your lot. No. What I'm saying is, yes, look for opportunities, new doors. Look for these things. Look Look for the things that God has spoken to you. Yes, yes, earnestly desire them. I believe that that prophecy that God gave Joseph was to keep him going during those times. To keep him going during those times. But where you are and what you can't change right now, put your soul into the iron. Put your strength into it. Why? Because that is fitting you for the moment of release and the moment of fulfillment. See, it says here, until the time, verse 19, until the time his word, that's God's word, came about. Until the time God's word came about, the word of Yahweh, some versions it says, tested, but the word is refined him. But testing is okay. He was testing his metal. He was refining him. He was preparing him. He was doing a character work on him. He was training him in things. Everything he went through, day by day, it wasn't wasted. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't wasted. The time in Potiphar's house wasn't wasted. Felt like it in prison. The time in prison wasn't wasted. I mean, he was sure happy when he got out, but it wasn't wasted. In fact, he could not have come to the place of his destiny and he could not have delivered a nation of people without having been in Potiphar's house as a servant and without being in prison, without being betrayed from his uh, uh, brothers. He couldn't, he couldn't, he would not have been able to operate. Look, in the daily routine of things is the secret of your future. When you think, oh, God, not again. It's Groundhog Day. Anyone watch watch that film, Groundhog Day? Have you ever woken up Monday morning? I have. Groundhog Day. Get in the car. Get off to work again. Summit house. Same faces greeting me. Happy faces greeting me. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. God, deliver me. Another... Oh, dear, that's not putting my soul into the iron, is it? <laughs> but you could reject that. You could say, forget this. You could say, I'm not having this. You could just say, oh, I'm not interested. You could back off. You could just, you know, just, just clock in and clock out, couldn't you, of whatever you're doing and, and all you and, and moan and think or dream your life away. Uh, but no, that's absolutely essential for where God wants you to be. You say, well, where does God want me to be? I don't know. But he does. And he's put inklings into your heart about where he wants you to be. Because you're on a journey with him. He doesn't just say, off you go on your journey. Now, he'll give you inklings. He'll give you things. That's part of the distilling of what God's saying to you. But unfortunately, where God wants to take you and the route to it are two different things. And so the word and the circumstance came together and refined him. He was between a rock and a hard place. The rock was the rock of God's revelation. The hard place was the circumstances that seemed the opposite to God's um, uh, revelation. And therefore there became friction between the rock and the circumstance. The rock was one shape, the circumstance was a totally different shape, and they begin to... What's the word? Huh? Friction, thank you. There begins friction in his soul. Friction in his heart between the rock of revelation and the reality of circumstance. The hard place he was in, or the challenging place, doesn't have to be a hard place, a prison, it can just be the challenges that are before you to grow and to become what God wants you to be, so you might be in a very nice place, but the challenge is to become who you are, that's the the hard place, you can keep going as you are, you know you need to change, you know you need to grow, you know you need to, to mature, you know you need to face issues in your life, that's your hard place, and the rock is the word that says, yes, because God needs to use you. As the person, and this friction in your soul between the rock of revelation, it's all there in Psalm 105, his promises, his covenant, his plans, his blessing, his, 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 that he's going to be with you touch not my anointed, I've got a job for them, my prophets, and then the hard place or the, the challenges of life. And there's friction going on because there is a refining going on, a preparation that's going on. For the child of God that's seeking God's will, there is not one day wasted in your life. I'm not saying you won't live every day as you should. I don't live every day as I should. I'm not saying you won't waste days. I waste days. But I'm saying, generally speaking, for somebody who says your will be done, O Lord, there's not one day that is being wasted, even if it's the most mundane useless situation you're feeling. What am I doing here? Where am I going? When will it? It's not wasted. What, what you're feeling is friction. Friction between God's word and friction between God's place that will produce the person to be the right man, the right woman at the right time in the right place. And it's not just one, one, one thing in the past. It can be stages of this. There can be a stage journey. Where the friction comes, and then you move into that place where you can, you're at a different level. You've been promoted, if you know what I mean, spiritually. Then another stage, then another stage. So it's not an all or nothing. But then it says here, in, uh, in verse 28, I mean, sorry, verse 20, what a, what a difference a day can make, isn't it? What a difference one day can make. The king sent And freed him. The ruler of the peoples sent and let him loose. You see, you put your heart and soul into the iron of where you are right now. And one day, you'll be set free from that iron. When that iron has done its job, when that friction on that hard place and that, and the rock of God's plan and revelation and purpose for you, when it's done, when it's finished, when it's completed, the king, not the king of the Egyptians, but the king of glory will release you from that. Will release you from that. There's times you've been in, there's times I've been in, there's seasons I've been in, where there's been a particular hard place or challenge, and a revelation, working, 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 and then suddenly, out of it you come. And often it comes right out of the blue. It comes out of the blue because you're so busy putting your soul into the iron that you're no longer daydreaming in denial or in anger or bitterness, but you're cooperating in the journey with God, and God says, that's it. And you think, what? I've been in places where, God has, where I put my soul into the iron. I wouldn't have called it that then. I only saw this in the last couple of weeks, but... I've been in places where I've had my soul so into the iron for so long that when God set me free, I didn't know what to do. It was like, it's like swinging the prison door open. and Just look at what am I meant to do? What are you meant to leave? And do what? I've had my soul in the iron for so long. You know what I'm saying? This situation or this problem or this circumstance or this challenge. I've had it in there for so long. Now, 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 now it's free, freedom, and it's an incredible place to be in. Very disorientating sometimes, because you put your soul into the iron. And the king sent and freed him. The ruler of the people sent him and let him loose. There will come a time when God will loose you. Again, you keep looking at the doors, you keep checking. This isn't, this isn't you know, but God will do it. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. And then verse 22, it says, to bind his princes. What that actually uh, means is to instruct. In other words, to have total power over his, his, as his officials, as he saw fit. To bind, and to, to, bind his, to bind his princes at his pleasure. But the word, as he saw fit, actually is literally in the desire of his soul. So we've got his soul in the iron. He's thinking, I've got to deal with this situation. I'm not going to run away from it. This circumstance, this character flaw, this obstacle. I'm not going to run away from it. On the contrary, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to put my soul in this iron. But then comes the time when not only is your soul released from the iron, but then you get your soul's desire. Why? Because you can handle it now. Why? Because your soul's been in the iron, and now iron's in you. Fortitude, strength, discipline is in you. I mean, Jesus did this, didn't he? He put his soul into the iron and the shackles of Herod, and the shackles of Pilate, and he put his soul into the scourging. He didn't resist he didn't run away. He didn't defend himself like a lamb. He just put his whole soul into the suffering. He put his soul into the cross. He, at any moment, he could have delivered himself. At any moment, he could have come down. At any moment, he'd have called on the angels. No, his soul was set into the iron of the cross because he knew that there would be a deliverance. He knew the God of Psalm 105. He knew that he was anointed and that he was God's prophet. And although he was being harmed, God would vindicate him. And on the third day, he rose again. He had the keys of, of death and Hades in his hand. And now his soul was free. And now his desire for us could come to pass. And from that moment to this, Jesus has been looking at the desires of his soul, the multitudes, and they've been coming to him. And there's a final multitude in the end times that is going to make every generation of salvation look like just a couple of peas in a pod compared to the billions of people that are going to be flowing into the kingdom of God because his soul is free, because his soul was in the iron. I believe that this is a prophecy tonight. I do. I mean, I really do. Uh, normally, I don't have this platform here. I put it here because this is my ministry to you tonight. I really believe that there's there's prophetic fuel in here for you this year, and that if you take this and put your soul into whatever iron God's given to you, then you are going to be forged. Because there's a wider principle as a close tonight and then what we'll do is we'll open up the floor if you need to be prayed for for anything our ministry team will do it and we can seal this for 15 minutes or so and just pr- worship and business with God and respond to that but it's not just about you because in a sense although I hinted at it earlier it could have just been about Joseph didn't? couldn't it and then Joseph was set free and then Joseph everything came to pass in Joseph's life that said was come to pass and then now his soul could have whatever his soul wanted, but his soul was disciplined enough to choose the right things because it had been in the iron. Hallelujah, wonderful, there's, uh, um, there's Joseph for you. But it was bigger than that. It meant millions of people did not die of, die of starvation. You're not just putting your soul into the iron for your destiny. It's going to affect others around you. Never underestimate the power of your influence on those around you. Never underestimate it. No matter how small or insignificant you are, never underestimate the influence that you can have on people. Or the person that you might have an influence on that can change the world. Someone had an influence on the young Billy Graham and got him born again. You know what I'm talking about. And that was enough influence. He saved... All this he was going through was not just on his behalf for his maturity. It was for the benefit of many. And i tell you what we need. We need a church revived. A church revived is God's anointed prophets on a journey. Because when God pours out his spirit like he so wants to, and his power like he so wants to, and his manifestations like he so wants to, and when God sends a spirit of salvation and takes cities and nations back in Europe, he's got to have Joseph's, and not the early version. Not the pompous, selfish, full of himself, boy in a designer jacket, If inappropriate language with his brothers. He doesn't want that person. What would that boy do in the famine? You know what he'd do? He'd say, make sure there's enough corn for me. Make sure, I've got power, right? What do I do? Oh, what, there's a famine? Right, this is what we do. Me and you, Pharaoh, in your palace, let's make sure we've got enough food for us. That's what he would have done. No, God doesn't want you in your early Joseph phase. He wants somebody that knows how to serve and that when the time comes and the destiny comes, it won't just be for them, it'll be for others. And where he'll be able to look back on his life and even say to his brothers with forgiveness, you meant it for evil, my God meant it for good. The devil means it for evil in your life. These circumstances are not good some of the times, but you know what? No matter what the devil means it for, God will use it To shape you. Because we've seen he's totally, utterly in control of everything. He's just looking for you to put your soul into it. Let's stand together. Worship team. Lord, we're just responding to you right now. Ministry team, come to the front. It's the beginning of a new year. And we're hoping for many great and happy things to happen. But you did say in this world... There would be trouble, challenges, circumstances. You called us more than conquerors, meaning that there'll be things to conquer. So we don't enter into 2015 with fear, but confidence. Confidence. Looking forward to the good things, the breakthroughs and the joys, but not flinching from putting our soul into the iron for that great work that will be for our blessing and ultimately everybody else's. Lord, we respond to you. Just respond to him right where you are. Maybe you're identifying right now the iron in which you're to put your soul, your life, that you've been running away from, hating, annoyed with, complaining. But that's what's there right now. That's the way it is right now. And although we pray that that will change, put your soul into it right now. Put your best into it right now. Put Your heart into it, your life into it, till it changes willingly. And be changed and renewed, molded and refined. Hallelujah. We're just going to worship the Lord and respond to Him. Just think about these things in your life as you do that. You need to leave at any time, go ahead. But just think right now what does this mean for you? And during this time, if you need prayer for anything, sickness situation or even response to this we have a ministry team here at the front feel free to come forward and we will lay hands on you and pray for your needs